Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name to each one this morning. I uh, don't often do this, but uh, have a comment that's related to the Sunday school lesson. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, uh, your descendants will bless every everyone in the world basically bless all nations now let me ask you a question if uh, all the nations of the world hear the story of Jesus Christ and his resurrection but they don't turn to God was there any blessing I'll just let you meditate on that one you come up with an answer. It's a privilege for me, and I think for anyone else, to be able to bring God's word to someone else. And here I have the privilege of bringing it to a, a whole group of people. Let me start with a story. That's the way I like to start messages oftentimes. And you may have heard this story before. If so, that's all right. Listen again. Tom Kirkman was angry at God. And the reason he was angry was because his mother had high blood pressure. And when she was getting real sick with this high blood pressure, Tom prayed to God that, that God would uh, extend her life another 10 years, and she died. And so Tom was angry with God to the point of being bitter about it almost. Now, uh, Tom wasn't the first one to be angry with God, and he wasn't the last one. <laughs> uh, there was Jonah. We, we know about his story, don't we? Uh, Jonah was sent to preach to Nineveh, and he ran away. And, of course, the story of the fish and so on. And, and then when uh, he finally went and preached, Jonah must have been a powerful preacher. And Nineveh repented. And they turned to God uh, from the king on down and God spared them had a neighbor a number of years ago and and he was angry at God he was angry at God because God had allowed his brother to die in an automobile accident now uh, we're uh, we're aware that it's not a good idea I think about all of us here would agree that it's not a good idea to get angry with God. Uh, God has a view of things that we don't have. Uh, he can see the future, and he can see what's going on in the present, and uh, he's sovereign. It's just not a very good idea to get angry at God. Uh, in, in Jonah's case, for instance, now, uh, from our perspective, uh, Jonah would have liked to see God destroy the city, wipe it out, get rid of every one of them. And uh, they were the enemies of his people. 
But, but uh, when they repented, I get the impression that they were no longer the enemies of God's people. <laughs> and uh, they didn't bother God's people anymore. That's a whole lot better way of doing it, isn't it? Well, it's not a good idea to get angry with God, but uh, Tom Kirkman was angry at God. Well, uh, time went on, and uh, Tom was bitter, and... and uh, he had a successful life uh, from an earthly standpoint. He uh, was living at Bedford, Indiana, just south and west of, in of Indianapolis, not too far. And there's a town called Bloomington where Indiana University is. And uh, Tom was working at Indiana University as the head man in the uh, museum at Indiana University. And he was uh, doing well there, uh, doing a real good uh, job. He was dedicated and, and he enjoyed his work, but, but his life was empty after work was over. And one evening he was driving home from work. He was alone. He was headed toward Bedford from Bloomington, so only 40 miles or so. And... Uh, all at once, he was alone in the car, and all at once, somebody said, Tom, and Tom was all attention. And then the voice said, I kept my part of the bargain. I gave her eternal life. And then the voice said, what are you going to do? And by then, Tom was home, pulling into his uh, parking place in front of the house. But, but he, uh, he wasn't angry at God anymore. God had spoken to him, and he knew that he'd better shape up. He knew there was a God then. He had given up on God. He had uh, rejected God. He had been bitter against God, but, but now he knew there was a God. And so uh, his question, what are you going to do? And I'd like to finish up this morning with that, but uh, <clears throat> I'd like to take your attention to uh, uh, the scripture in John 21. Uh, we're just post-Easter, and uh, this uh, scripture fits with that. The Bible makes it pretty clear that God created man to have fellowship with himself and uh, he also created man as an object of his love and and he expects something in return from man and, and uh, he gets it in that fellowship that uh, he has with his people. My goal this morning is to uh, illustrate God's pursuit of man and what he expects in return. So uh, to, to John 21, I'll talk about the first number of uh, verses there, but then I'd like to start reading at verse 15. Now, uh, it says that Jesus was showing himself to the disciples for the third time. They were at the Sea of Galilee, and, Jesus, and Peter said, I'm going to go fishing, and the, the rest of the 
Seven disciples were together there. The other six said, we'll go with you, Peter. And so they went fishing. And they, apparently, uh, when you uh, fish with nets, it uh, works best at night because, uh, at least in the scriptures, it talks several times of uh, them fishing at night. And so these men, these disciples, fished uh, all night and didn't catch anything. And in the morning, and I don't know how early in the morning, but uh, Jesus was standing on the shore, and they didn't know who it was. Maybe it was too early to see who it was, but, it, but anyway, they didn't know. And he said, do you have any fish? Do you have any meat? And they said, no. Well, he said, throw your net on the right side, and you'll get some. And you know the story. And then uh, they couldn't pull the net in because it was too heavy and uh, so then John said that's the Lord and Peter jumped in uh, King James said he was naked but doesn't mean in the sense that we think of the word it simply means he had his outer wraps off he put them on and jumped into the uh, into the sea there uh, close to land I don't know I suppose he swam to get to the shore quicker than the rest of them. The rest of them came and brought the, the boat and the net with fish. And there was uh, a fire there, it says, of coals and uh, had some fish and some bread on it. And he said, bring some of the fish you've caught now. And, and then he uh, gave them some breakfast. In verse 15 then, so when they had dined, Jesus said to, si to Simon, Peter, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hand, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. I'll stop reading there. Now, the words are significant here. Uh, and so we'll start there with uh, verse 15, where it says, uh, Jesus said to Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? Now, uh, there's some question. Uh, I uh, I sometimes read commentaries. Okay, I I don't put a lot of stock in commentary. Commentaries are not uh, 
They're not the inspired word, and so take them with a grain of salt. But commentaries uh, give you three choices here, and uh, I, uh, well, there's three choices. Uh, Lovest thou me more than these? More than what? More than these others love? Or do you love me more than you love these? These other disciples? Or uh, do you love me more than these things? Uh, they had just eaten fish and bread. And uh, personally, I think he was saying, do you love me more than these other disciples do? And the reason I think that is because uh, earlier, Peter had said, uh, if everyone else leaves you, I won't. I'll stick with you. Even if these other guys all run away, I won't. <laughs> and of course, we know about Peter. We know <laughs> He was impulsive. I, I love Peter. Uh, okay. He was earthly. Uh, his personality was earthy. <laughs> uh, impulsive. But, uh, and so Jesus was asking, Peter, do you really love me more than these other disciples do? Now, uh, I think that uh, Jesus was referring back to Peter's denial, uh, most all commentators, most all uh, expositors believe that he was uh, speaking of uh, denial and trying to get Peter back in right relationship, and I think that's right. And so uh, now he's saying, Peter, do you really love me more than these other disciples do? And And... Jesus used the word, and now I'll expound on the word he used for love. Jesus used the word agapio, which uh, in short, concise English means to love. <laughs> now, uh, uh, my understanding is that, that the, the word uh, almost needs the New Testament to describe it, okay? It uh, wasn't commonly used before that very much. And so uh, it's, a, it's a New Testament word. It uh, describes God's love for his people. It describes uh, the love that uh, his people have once they have, are led by the Holy Spirit, the love that his people have for others and for God himself, agapio. Peter, in his reply, though, didn't use that word. Uh, now, I'm not sure, but I suspect that uh, he was afraid to use that word, or uh, he maybe he thought he just wasn't quite up to that. He used the word phileo, phileo, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but anyway, the word... Uh, as uh, Young's Concordance describes it, to be a friend, it means uh, deep affection, okay? It's not the kind of love that God has for his people, okay? It, it's, uh, to me, it's a lesser word for love. <laughs> uh, some people don't look at it that way, but I, that's what I think. And uh, so Peter used that word. And... Uh, 
Peter said, uh, Lord, yes, I, I really do love you. I, I have this uh, tender affection for you. I'm your friend. Uh, and so uh, Jesus said it again. Peter, do you love me with the kind of love that, uh, that I have for you, God's kind of love? Do you really love me, Peter? And Peter said the same thing again. Jesus, you know. No, he didn't say it that time. He said, yes, Jesus, I, I have this tender affection. I, I, I'm, I'm your friend. I have this tender affection for you, this friendship. And now Jesus says it again. And this time he switches to Peter's word, phileo. And uh, now uh, Peter's, uh, he's grieved, it says. Uh, well, Jesus, you know, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he still used the same word. <clears throat> yeah. And so uh, Jesus said, follow me. Now, <clears throat> let's look a little uh, a little further here, yet another uh, phrase here. In the 15th verse, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus, uh, Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And, and Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed them. Then in uh, verse 16, Peter said it again. And, and uh, this time Jesus said, Shepherd my sheep, or tend my sheep, take care of my sheep. Uh, reminds one of uh, when uh, Jesus was uh, asking the disciples who pe people say that I am in Matthew 16. And uh, Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And... and uh, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this rock. And uh, I have uh, maintained over the years that uh, it's not a good idea to try to put Peter in the position of Christ. And so I don't try to do that. But I think uh, that really uh, Jesus was saying, I I'm going to use you as foundational material. And if you want some more confirmation for that, go to the second chapter of uh, Ephesians, last part where uh, Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Where was Peter then? Right there in the foundation. And what was built on the foundation? The church. Didn't say he was going to use Peter alone, but yeah, Peter was foundational. There's no way to get around that. Now, he wasn't the Pope, okay? And, uh, but, but some people go a little too far in rejecting that, I think. And so if you hear people say uh, that uh, the rock was Jesus and the rock was Peter's faith, uh, that's all right, that's good, I don't mind that. Basically, though, I think Jesus was saying, Peter, you're foundational. <laughs> You're going to be a part of the foundation. <laughs> I think that's the... We know that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. 
Then where was I? Oh, okay. Shepherd my sheep. And then the third time, he said again, feed my sheep. Then he says something else. Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted to, but when you're old, you're going to be taken where you don't want to go. Somebody else will put your clothes on and, and they'll take you places you don't want to go. And, and he was referring to how Peter would die. Peter would give his life. In uh, several different scriptures, Jesus told his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross and, and go. And, and Peter did just that. Then the last one that I'd like to look at directly from this scripture is about Peter and John. Peter uh, was told uh, what would happen to him, and he saw John following, and so he said, what about John? And Jesus said, uh, in effect, uh, that's not your concern, Peter. Now, that that uh, that interests me. Uh, in uh, John 13, Jesus said, uh, "By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another." And and that to me suggests that uh, that we find out, know what's going on in the lives of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We. Uh, there's interchange, there's communion there. Uh, we commune with each other and, and we learn about our, the likes and dislikes and the emotions and so on that are going on in our... I'm not real good at that. Uh, my wife is much better at it than I am, but, but yeah. Uh, that's part of uh, loving the way Christ loved. But we all have personalities, and as we do this loving, and as we relate, and as we learn about others, don't try to change their personalities. That's we don't. That's not our job. Uh, there is a limit. Back in uh, Revelation, in the sec second chapter, uh, what in the uh, Church to Pergamos. Let's look at it and get it straight now. Yes, the church to Pergamos. In verse 17 there, in uh, the rewards for the overcomers, those who are faithful to death, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. I, that uh, verse uh, suggests to me a personal relationship between each one of us and the Lord Jesus that uh, no one else needs to intrude into, that no one else needs to know the essence of it, okay? Uh, Yes, we need to know what's going on in other people's lives. There's a limit to that. Uh, and uh, when Jesus told uh, Peter 
in effect, uh, none, none of your business how I deal with John. Uh, he didn't mean that uh, Peter wasn't supposed to relate to John. He didn't mean that he wasn't supposed to respect him. He didn't mean that he wasn't supposed to love him and have communion with him. But he said there's a limit to it. And, and uh, yeah, you personally have communion with God that, that you alone know about. You have that white stone with a name that no one else knows. <laughs> Now, at the twice now, when he had spoken this in verse 19, he said, follow me. And then after the Peter and John thing, he said again, follow thou me. And, and that's the title of my message this morning. And that, that's uh, the burden of my heart this morning. Follow me. Follow the Lord. What does it mean for you, for Tom Kirkman? What did it mean? Jesus said to him, the Lord said to him, what are you going to do? And so uh, time went by for Tom Kirkman, maybe a year or so, and, and uh, Tom was different. He had quit being angry at God. He knew there was a God. And he quit fighting against God, but he wasn't born again. He was a good moral man. And then he saw in the paper one day something that caught his attention. It's an article there that said there was an Amish person that wouldn't put a fanny flag, uh, I'm using my own words now, it's one of those triangle things that you have on the back of slow-moving vehicles, and this Amish person uh, wouldn't put one on his buggy, and uh, they were going to have a trial and decide what to do with this man, and and it caught Tom's attention, and so he watched the paper pretty carefully. It was only a week or so later that they had this trial, and, and they, uh, they find the man and and uh, he wouldn't pay the fine and so they put him in jail and he could uh, for something like five dollars a day that would work off the fine and so uh, Tom was intrigued by that this this man Tom didn't necessarily think that it was wrong to put a fanny flag on a buggy but but uh, this man would refuse to, to do that because of his faith in God. And so he decided he'd go talk to him. Man's name was Simon Gamerich, and he was an Amish bishop, by the way. And so uh, he was in a jail in the town of Paoli, which was in the same county as Bedford. And so somebody told him that he'd... Uh, turned down a certain street and as he got close to the river or a creek uh, there was a house on the one side of the road and uh, that's where the jail was in that building and so he drove down there one evening and uh, sure enough it looked just like a house but uh, had a porch across the front and on the one end of it there was a door and on the other end was another door 
So Tom was sitting there looking at this house and, and uh, somebody came out the one door and uh, he thought probably that was the sheriff and it was and his wife came out after him. And so Tom got up and walked up toward the uh, house and, and uh, he uh, asked whether this was the jail and the uh, sheriff uh, motioned with his hand down there toward the other door at the other end was the jail. And so Tom wanted to talk to Simon Gingrich and he told the sheriff that and the sheriff motioned at him to head down to the other door down there. Then he asked him was he a reporter and Tom said he wasn't. And uh, Tom was still hesitating. Uh, what did the man mean? To go on down there? Wasn't that door locked? And so the sheriff said, it's not locked. And so he went down there and opened the door and there was another door inside, a metal door, and it was ajar, it was partly open. So Tom uh, walked in and he didn't want to just barge in, so he knocked softly on the door and inside a firm voice answered, said, come in. And he opened the door and walked in. And here this Amish bishop was sitting there with his German Bible reading. And so they began a conversation. And <clears throat> the uh, Amish uh, bishop had some questions for Tom, and Tom had some questions for the Amish bishop. And uh, Tom learned very soon that this man was personable and that he was intelligent. And... Uh, so he uh, pretty soon asked him, uh, do, do you believe the Amish are the only ones that are saved? And the uh, man uh, said, uh, Simon Gingrich said, do you know the verse uh, John 3.16? They had conversed enough that uh, Simon knew that uh, Tom had Baptist background. And so he figured he would know that verse and Tom said, yes. Uh, Simon said, I, uh, my Bible is uh, German, but I'll try to quote that in English. And so he started in, for God so loved the Amish church that he gave his only begotten son. And by now, Tom was smiling and the Amish bishop asked, can you, uh, is that the way it reads? And uh, Tom said, no, uh, tell me what it says. For God so loved the world. Now, here was an Amish bishop, but, but he knew that the Amish weren't the only ones that were saved. He had a reason for being Amish. He thought it was a good way to uh, stay saved, but, but he recognized that there's a lot of other people. I was at a funeral just recently, last, last week on Thursday, and... Uh, was in the Whistler Church in Indiana, one of my brother-in-laws, and uh, I appreciated what one of the ministers said. Uh, he said, when we get to glory, there won't be any denominations. And uh, that's right. However, <clears throat> there won't be. And I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't from every... Uh, shape and form of Christian denominations 
that there won't be some people there. It may not be on account of uh, their doctrines, but this, but maybe in spite of them sometimes. But uh, but people everywhere sometimes some if they can they uh, get into the word and well anyway. It does mean something to follow me. When Jesus said follow me, that meant something. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I wasn't done with uh, Tom Kirkman yet. Let me finish. Before the evening was over, Simon Gingrich asked Tom whether he was born again. And Tom said, uh, did he have a relationship with this a personal relationship? And Simon moved around with his chair beside Tom and put his hand on his shoulder. And he prayed for Tom, and then Tom prayed. And in that open jail cell, Tom Kirkman was born again. Later joined the Amish church for a while. Uh, and his wife divorced him, and uh, Tom thought it would be bringing... Uh, reproach on the Amish, and so he left them, but he respected the Amish beliefs. Leaves me hang just a little bit that he would leave on that account, but, but again, back to Peter and John, uh, we don't run other people's lives, okay? We, we tell them what the Bible says if we know, and uh, we try to encourage each other on the way. We try to uh, uh, do our best to help each other, brothers and sisters, on the way toward glory. That's, that's love in action. <clears throat> what does it mean to follow me? What are you going to do? Was what Christ said to Tom Kirkman. In uh, John 14 and verse 23, it says, If a man love me, he will keep my words. If a man love me. That's one of my favorite scriptures. If a man love me, he will keep my words. He will do what I say. And, and we, Jesus said we, the Father and I, and the Holy Spirit, we will come and live with him. <laughs> Beautiful verse. If a man love me, he will do what I say, and we will come to him and live with him. In Mark 10, <clears throat> verses 42 to 45, but Jesus called them to him. Now, uh, this was after two of the disciples had uh, asked for a position in Christ's kingdom. And here's what Jesus told them. But ca Jesus called the rest of them, the ten. The ten were uh, displeased about the others. And uh, Jesus called them and said, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them, but so shall it not be among you. 
But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, your servant. And whosoever will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This kingdom is totally different. Totally different. And, and we're here not to be great, but to serve. And to die if need be. For God's sake. You know, I'm not a prophet of doom. Uh, and of course, uh, it's not a tragedy when a person who is ready to meet the Lord dies. Let's get that straight right now. It was not a tragedy for those Anabaptist ancestors of ours, Felix Mons, George Blora, Conrad Greville, and the rest of them. It was not a tragedy for those men to be drowned or burned at the stake or whatever happened to them. It had all happened to them. Not a tragedy. They were ready to go. They were ready to meet God. They were ready to go to glory. Uh, it's sad when one of our own, even if he's ready to go, it's sad when we're, we're parted for a while, but it's not a tragedy. Let's get that straight. It's a good thing to go to meet the Lord. Follow me. Serving in this kingdom is different. Back to Luke, ninth chapter. Verses 51 to 56. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the man, Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Friends, our job is to save men's lives to the best of our ability. To follow Jesus means to do just that, to live in such a way and to keep our conversation and our talk in such a way that it leads men to Jesus Christ. That's our job, not to destroy them. Oh, it's difficult sometimes. Uh, our neighbors can be difficult. I'll tell you that. I had some difficult ones. But, but God will give us the grace to follow him. And uh, while I'm not a prophet of doom, I expect that we'll see some persecution might not be too far in the future, the way things are going in this country now. I might not see it, and I might, but some of you almost certainly will. One more, Luke 9, 26, back a page. Jesus said, whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Jesus said, follow me. He told Tom Kirkman, what are you going to do? 
and he meant pay attention. Go where you're supposed to go. Do what you're supposed to do. We're not going to be ashamed of Jesus Christ if we're following Jesus. We're, go we're going to teach what he taught us to teach. We're going to, to uh, extend his love to our fellow man. That's our job in following Christ. What are we going to do? In John 17, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, If you want, if we want to do God's will, what God wants us to do, we will know what his will is. <laughs> what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to do what God wants you to do. It's not hard to know if you want to do what God wants you to do. You'll find out what God wants you to do. It becomes clear.